Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading sustainability thinkers and practitioners, scientists, economists, NGOs, business leaders and investors. We discuss the sustainability imperative, the key challenges, the latest thinking and what's working in sustainability, resilience and regeneration. I'm very pleased today to welcome Thomas Lovejoy back to the podcast. Dr. Lovejoy is a tropical biologist and conservation biologist and known as the godfather of biodiversity. He's a senior fellow at the United Nations Foundation and university professor in the Environmental Science and Policy Department at George Mason University. Dr. Lovejoy was the World Bank's chief biodiversity advisor and the lead specialist for environment for Latin America and the Caribbean, as well as senior advisor to the president of the United Nations Foundation. He serves on many scientific and conservation boards and advisory groups and is the author of numerous articles and books. Well, uh, so thank you very much, Thomas, uh, for taking the time to speak to me again uh, for the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Always happy to do it. Great. So how are things with you uh, since we last spoke? Um, I, I, what, what, are you, what are you working on at the moment? Um, uh, I mean, one of the things I'd really like to talk to you about is your new book, um, but maybe you've just set the, the, the context a little bit. So I, I think what I'm really mostly focused on now are, is a, a two-point agenda uh, both pieces of which are sort of intertwined. Um, there is, as always, my ongoing uh, efforts on behalf of conserving the Amazon and making sure that it continues to work as the system that it does. Uh, but the other part of it is looking at the global picture of biodiversity and climate change not only their interactions uh, in a negative kind of way, uh, but also what ecosystem restoration could do to get us a better outcome for both. Great, great. So that's, in fact, the topic of, the, the I think, your most recent book, or the, the, which you've edited and, and contributed a, a number of pieces, Biodiversity and Climate Change, which I guess is in situated in the context of what you call climate change biology. Can you talk a little bit about what climate change biology is and why you focus on biodiversity and climate change together? Why it's important to think about them together? Well, they're... they're basically two very interrelated reasons. Uh, one is uh, that because all life is built of carbon, uh, when we basically destroy and degrade ecosystems, we are simultaneously impacting biological diversity and releasing a lot of carbon to the atmosphere. Uh, and the carbon in the atmosphere becomes part of human-driven climate change, which then comes right back and affects biological diversity where it currently occurs, uh, upsetting delicate relationships, uh, changing the climate envelope uh, in places so that some species, in fact, can no longer survive where they have for uh, literally millennia. Uh, so it's it's one great big Gordian knot of environmental challenge. 
Yeah, and how well established is it the connection between uh, biodiversity and climate change? Climate change and biodiversity. Uh, I, I know there's uh, increasingly uh, we we hear a lot of uh, talk about the uh, terrible goings on with with uh, deforestation and the impact of deforestation. Um, certainly, but more broadly, have these ideas been uh, thought about in a joined up way, or have they uh, been isolated and maybe just set the scene a little bit? So I would say that that anybody who is knowledgeable about nature and conservation will know that there's not a place on this planet where you don't see the impact of climate change uh, on biological diversity changing essentially the the annual calendar of species, changing where they occur, uh, and in certain instances getting to the point where some ecosystems are beginning to fall apart. Yes, yes. And in terms of the research and in terms of the, the, the I guess, the, the, the domains where people study these questions, how, how well established is, is the study of them, looking at them together and look at the interrelatedness of them? So it's an exploding field uh, because basically anybody who's, trying to do natural resource management or conservation or is just, you know, a a lay person enjoying some time in nature will know that things are changing all over the place. Uh, And it also has the additional element, of course, because of elevated CO2 in the atmosphere and that some of the CO2 absorbed by the oceans actually turns the oceans more acidic. So that is affecting biological communities and coastal zones and elsewhere around the world. Yes, absolutely. Now, in the book, you talk about some estimates of the the uh, carbon consequences, I guess, of uh, ecosystem destruction and so forth. Can you talk about that? It's quite shocking, the, 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 the actual scale. And has this been something, again, again, just setting the scene a little bit, how well established and understood has that been? So it has always been known that the, you, you destroy a forest, you release a lot of carbon to the atmosphere. Uh, but only in January 2018 did we get r- really precise figures on the extent of it, which included not only just simple removal of a natural ecosystem, uh, but also degradation. Uh, And the figures that came out were quite shocking uh, in one sense, uh, in that the amount of carbon in the atmosphere from destroyed and degraded ecosystems is literally equal to what remains in extant ecosystems. So it's a huge number. Yes. And buried in it, buried in it is actually potentially good news, uh, which if we do extensive ecosystem restoration, which we would want to do for lots of reasons, uh, because ecosystems benefit us directly through services and other contributions uh, sort of all over the planet, uh, 
we would get essentially restoration of those benefits at the same time as drawing down some of the CO2 load in the atmosphere and reducing the amount of climate change that we will have to undergo. Right, right. Um, I mean, I, I, the, the whole question of drawdown is very interesting, and the question of, um, um, I mean, some of the figures that you uh, use, I guess, in the book were t- something like, um, but it's, I mean, these are just estimates, but it gives some sense of this kind of scale, uh, is, is uh, reducing it uh, by a, one part per million being about something like eight gigatons, is that something like that? Yeah, so I, I want to go back and check those numbers, but uh, but basically what we know about it says that tens of parts per million of CO2 can come out of the atmosphere, uh, and we can thereby avoid the equivalent amount of increase in global temperature. Yes, yes. So can you maybe just talk about what is ecosystem restoration or ecosystem restoration and uh, where, where, where are we in terms of where are the main uh, areas of potential, do you think, to, to really have an impact with this? Well, I mean, first of all, there's large portions of the, the tropics where restoring natural forest uh, would give you huge biodiversity benefits. Uh, but also better watersheds uh, and those kinds of services. Uh, but basically, we we have really run down and degraded a lot of ecosystems on our planet. Uh, the amount of degraded agricultural land in the planet is a huge number. I don't have it in my head, but it's a huge number. Uh, and if you restore that and you move to agricultural systems that accumulate carbon, you actually get increased soil fertility uh, as opposed to leaking carbon, which our, most of modern industrial agriculture does. Uh, same is true with degraded grasslands and grazing lands uh, and coastal wetlands are another uh, part of all of this, uh, mangroves in particular, uh, which you should want to do anyway because of how they benefit fisheries and protect against storm surge. Uh, so while we're not talking about reforesting London or Manhattan, uh, we are talking about restoring ecosystems uh, quite broadly across the globe. Yes, yes. And how, uh, as we say, popular are these ideas? How, how, to, to what extent? I mean, it seems like a very good idea. Um, and particularly when you put it uh, side by side with some of the uh, other alternatives, which are being, I guess, considered in some uh, areas in geoengineering and related <laughs> uh, kind of ideas. Um, so is there some momentum on this? What, what, what do you think? Where do you think some of the more interesting examples are? So interestingly enough, one of the three conventions that came out of the Earth Summit in Rio in 1992 uh, has always been about that, which is the the uh, UN Convention on Desertification. Uh, it's all about degraded uh, agricultural lands uh, and restoring them to, you know, be functional and productive. And when you do that, they actually accumulate carbon in the process. Uh, the other parts of it are newer, 
Uh, but reforestation has, has always sort of been on the agenda, but not prominently in climate change. Uh, and the other parts of it, particularly the coastal wetlands, have gotten a lot more attention as sea level rise begins to be a serious issue for coastal communities. Yes. Do, do you see this changing? Uh, I think so. What are some of the drivers there? Some of the just because um, I guess when it comes to something like uh, drawdown or taking CO two out, out of the atmosphere, um, any project which has uh, kind of financial returns and so forth is always going to uh, be attractive. I guess. Um, what What are some of the obstacles do you see to ecosystem restoration? Uh, so I think the major obstacles are are basically insufficient awareness of its potential so far. Uh, but I think we're going to see at the Climate Action Summit at the UN in September uh, that this will have a very conspicuous role and a conspicuous place. Yes, yes. And what what are the governance? I mean, you mentioned um, the, the Rio um uh, platform with around desertification. What, what, what kind of have we got the kind of governance, the, the appropriate governance to start to look at these issues in a in a global way, or what? What have you some thoughts on 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 how that's structured and how one would need to think about that to 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 really make some change? So I think we have some pieces, uh, like the, the desertification convention, uh, and. There was a bond agreement about reforestation yes, uh, yeah. some years ago, uh, but those are only part of the potential. Uh, so basically, it's something that needs to be done in almost every country, uh, and uh, we don't actually have a lot of governance for that at the moment. And in a way, I would love for this to just sort of take off before there was a lot of governance because it would then, I think, drive better governance. Uh, and one of the things that's so wonderful about it is that it takes climate change uh, as something that most people see as so overwhelming. How could they possibly make a difference? Uh, to something where every individual can make a difference by helping plant a tree or help restore a local wetland or whatever it might be. Uh, so I, I think the potential here for public engagement uh, is a huge positive. Yes, yes. Um, I, I saw uh, some technology-related uh, innovations here using drones to plant trees. Um, very promising, uh, high impact. But yes, it's something that that I guess that we can all be involved in. Um, and um, the, I'm interested in the question of because uh, primary forests clearly have a significant, uh, significantly greater impact in terms of the carbon they actually hold and so forth. Um, is there a danger that um, you know? I mean, because uh, how are we doing in terms of you know dealing with deforestation of primary forests? 
So it's it's a mixed picture, uh, and basically speaking, tropical forests are still in retreat. Yeah, uh, it varies from place to place, uh, but a number of the countries that have suffered this kind of problem actually included reforestation as part of their commitments uh, at the Paris Climate uh, Agreement. Uh, So it had already begun to creep in a little bit. Now we need to take it to scale. Right, right. And I guess there's a tension here, uh, an underlying tension in terms of use of land, use of land for ecosystem restoration and use of land for... for, um, uh, well, I guess this, the, 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 the land that belongs to indigenous peoples and then the land also that's being used to feed people. Can you talk a little bit about some of the tensions there? So when it comes to land that are part of uh, indigenous peoples' uh, lands, uh, basically they tend to be positive players. Uh, they are some of the best stewards of ecosystems on the planet. Uh, the The tougher one is the food and land use uh, trajectory. Uh, but we actually know scientifically that we can feed all the coming billions uh, an adequate diet uh, without destroying another square inch of nature. Uh, and that means improving productivity in some places, uh, cutting food waste, which is like 40% of all food is wasted. And it's also changing our diets in the way that our doctors are telling us to do anyway. Uh, so, you know, less, less, uh, beef and, and, and lamb and, and things of that sort, more fish and chicken uh, and wonderful vegetarian options as well. Yes, let's take a, some time uh, for change. Do you, do you feel the, some momentum there? Certainly there are uh, quite a bit of innovation in the uh, alternative meat or meat substitutes. Do you see the in America, uh, they, they like their beef, they like their steak? <laughs> well, you know, one of our major fast food outlets um, uh, is introducing a veggie burger. Right. So that tells you something. I mean, they their estimate of their market says that they think this might work, right? Well, yes. One of the a, a bakers in 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 the UK has had a uh, some great success with a uh, artificial uh, vegan sausage roll. <laughs> it's bro- broken sales records. So clearly, there's you know there, there is some some demand there and. Um, can you talk about what is ecosystem-based adaptation, and is that an important idea? So ecosystem-based adaptation is uh, from a conservation perspective. It's doing conservation design so that species can actually uh, move uh, from one elevation to another or from one location to another, uh, they're already on the move. It's just that in many places they are in isolated fragments of natural habitat uh, and 
being able to disperse a core, you know, across landscapes that are not particularly biodiversity friendly is a big issue. So one of the things we need to do is put connections back between natural areas so that the plant and animal species can try and track the conditions uh, that they require. Right, right. And how, is, is this uh, something that's developing now, becoming more important? Uh, certainly in the conservation community, you hear it talked about all the time. Yeah, because I guess it's a question that people are talking about now, whether there's been enough attention focused on adaptation um, rather than mitigation. And I, th- another area that I, I thought was quite interesting is, is it called green-gray adaptation. Can you talk a little bit about that, and do you think that's got potential? Yeah, so basically, first of all, we're at a point where we don't have a choice. We have to do adaptation uh, as well as mitigation. Uh, I think what you're referring to in the green-gray is it's it's looking at problems of storm surge, for example, on a coast, uh, and the old-fashioned approach would have been to create a seawall. That's gray infrastructure. Uh, green infrastructure could well be, uh, if it's a tropical place, uh, restoring mangroves because uh, they're very effective against storm surge. Uh, and one of the really interesting things about sort of the, the green uh, kinds of uh, infrastructure protecting against flooding or storm surge uh, is that what those habitats actually do is they break up uh, the energy in the storm surge, uh, whereas a gray infrastructure, just a seawall, uh, doesn't reduce the energy in the least. It just passes it on laterally uh and it will do damage wherever it ends up. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean, how optimistic are you in general, uh, Thomas? Um, they um, they say it was in addition to the one degree we've already seen that there's already another 0.6 of a degree, as it were, baked in already in terms of the CO2 already emitted. And uh, the IPCC and such like are, tend to be a little bit backward looking, tend to be a bit uh, out of date, as it were. Um, how, how optimistic are you that we're, you know, we're, how we're doing here? So, you know, if you look at the numbers right now, you wouldn't be optimistic, uh, particularly when you look at the essentially... Uh, resistant behavior of the fossil fuel companies and certain governments uh, uh, which deny climate change. Uh, But we also know societies can change very rapidly. Uh, And what I think I'm finding very exciting is the number of young voices that are now involved. Uh, and in the end, I think they become far more powerful than they they themselves might actually realize uh, 
because when young people are are basically sort of calling the older people to account because it's their future that's being affected, uh, it can ca- carry a lot of weight. Yes, I mean we've had the recent surge of of attention with Greta Thunberg and and um, we've had Extinction Rebellion, which is I guess uh, very uh, active in in the UK at least, um, and a, a lot more attention to climate change. Do, what is there a danger of spending? Uh, you know, the Green New Deal in America getting more attention, whether it turns into policy or not, and in the UK as well. Um, is there what's at stake um or is there danger of of not taking into account biodiversity i mean in in a sense you know you just wonder uh, how how much space there is in the in public awareness for a range of different issues certainly the, the climate change has got considerable momentum now is there danger of just focusing on climate change and excluding biodiversity or not giving it the the the, the importance that it it it, it needs well, that would be that would be just a grave error, uh, because basically the planet works as a combined biological and physical system, and if we ignore that, uh, we really set up future generations for a pretty miserable existence. Yes, yes. I, I do. Do you do you feel that it's, biodiversity is getting the attention? Well, I think the the recent. UN assessment that came out a couple of weeks ago uh, actually got a lot of attention. Uh, and one can fault the Biodiversity Convention for not having created a scientific body until 2012. Uh, uh, but having put out that report, I, th- I think it got front and center attention around the world. And you think that that'll get turned into policy and action? Uh, without any question. So, I mean, I was talking to the Deputy Secretary General of the UN on Friday morning, uh, and it will definitely be part of the uh, Climate Action Summit uh, in September. Great, great. And, and finally, I guess, what about timings on this? Because, you know, every, every year, every, every, I guess every month, we, we, we don't take action. Um, we're getting, you know, behind. And windows are closing as well, I guess. And there's you know, tipping points that we're going to hit. Are, are there, in your mind, uh, some key uh, timing constraints and, and things that we need to think about? So basically, we don't have a minute to lose. Uh, and the sooner the world realizes that we have to actually truly pivot in how we're managing the planet, uh, the better it will be. And, you know, you look at the current trends and you couldn't imagine that happening. But societies are able to actually, you know, pass social tipping points where it's suddenly something that, has been sort of on the sidelines for a long time uh, becomes center focus. Yes, I guess the the elephant in, in the room, maybe to some extent, is is um, the 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 focus, the the economy, and the focus on economic growth. 
and they seem like small figures. They always seem like small figures, but uh, compounded, you know, if, 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 if economies want to grow by a couple of percent a year or 3% aspire to do that over 20, 25 years, next 20, 25 years, you're talking about a doubling in the size of the global economy. Do you see that as consistent, you know, um, do you see that as an uh, uh, underlying, you know, just major, major issue? So, I, you know, I think economics can create solutions as well as also, you know, be a system which ignores societal decisions. Uh, so, I, you know, I think we're going to find some really creative economic solutions coming along and and one of them actually will be trying to incorporate the value of ecosystems on a daily basis into the way economic decisions are made right so that's getting rid of this i mean i guess integrating beginning of the so-called externalities and bringing them into the the way we value and uh, economic decisions yeah so we no longer can afford to treat the way the world actually works as an externality yes yes um, what's next for you thomas wow well, what's, what's next, next for me, me? <laughs> um, well a lot of work on the amazon coming up uh, and um interesting national geographic focus on the amazon uh both in the in the magazine, but in its, some of its grants and, and an expedition, uh, trying to highlight how the Amazon actually works as a system. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, and beyond that, at the moment, I've just got my head above water, having gotten through commencement and finals and grading papers. <laughs> so I haven't actually flesh out the rest of the agenda but I know it's all here and heaping piles on this desk <laughs> well I wish you the very best uh, of, of, of success with your ongoing work uh, Thomas and thank you once again uh, for sharing uh, your, your insights today on the sustainability agenda absolutely well thank you for paying attention to these critical things great great thank you for listening to the sustainability agenda podcast I hope you found it interesting it would be great if you could leave a review and share the podcast on social media. You can sign up at iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. <laughs>